You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, good morning and good afternoon and good day. Welcome again to another awesome episode of Drone News with your host, Taken Flight and the Flying Dutchman. We are happy to be back with you this weekend as there is so much to talk about in this week's Drone News. Coming up first this week, it seems like there is a snafu or rather a double standard, as people are asking questions about how come there are so many new reports of public safety crashing drones. But that may have confused this next headline as, well, a drone dropped out of the sky and landed, that's right, right on a police car. Many people wondering whose drone was it? Haya, what do you have, my friend? Yeah, hey, good morning, Paul. This is an uh, interesting story for sure. Uh, It brings us to Texas, uh, Houston, Texas, to be precise. Um, There was a fatal crash that happened on uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard and Rapido Road. And while they were investigating the crash, a drone fell out of the sky and fell right on top of a police car. And there weren't really many details uh, given in the news story uh, at all. The only thing is that you could see it was a DJI Phantom drone. But then if you look at the video footage, right at the end of the footage, they show a short shot of a uh, DJI Phantom remote controller. And that kind of makes you wonder if they were recording right at the crashing and both the drone that fell out of the sky was there and the controller was there. And there's no other information given. It makes you wonder if this drone was not one of the police force drones. And that would explain why no additional information was provided. And that brings, of course, up a, an entire other topic. It's like how many, how many of these first responders, when they fly drones, how many of these drones crash? And are those reported to the FAA? And is there a public database where we can actually look into this kind of information? And uh, it's something we're, we're looking into for sure. Um, I thought this was an interesting story. And uh, yeah. Happy to share it with you guys. Yeah, very interesting. It makes you wonder if they were photographing the remote controller and putting that on TV to kind of CYA, right? Like cover your butt as far as like who the drone was. And let's take a photo of the remote so we can have it for evidence, right? And yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Lots of questions about that. Now, you really hit upon something, uh, something that I've been working on for investigative reporting, which is... Under these public safety COAs, oftentimes we have a problem, which is these public safety agencies are having crashes, and because of the way that the COA is structured, they oftentimes don't have to report these accidents to the FAA. And even when the FAA does get these accidents, we just actually came upon some leaked emails that uh, one FAA, uh, I guess he would be a deputy administrator, openly said, we're not sure what to do uh, when it comes to investigating some of these drone crashes. But I think that public safety should start to try to do the right thing at all times, as many of them are unaware of the sneaky rule about COAs, which means even Mm -hmm. if you are a state law enforcement department, well, now you are subject 
to FOIA requests. So, Haya, we have a lot of FOIA requests in right now <laughs> to find out who has been crashing and how big this problem is, as some insiders have been tipping us off that there may be a significant problem with police uh, specifically flying drones as another leaked email showcases that a lot of these police departments even want, well, to fly under the COA because some of their pilots couldn't pass the 107 exam, Hayat. I think uh, you bring up some really good points. I mean, for one, you want you want to be able to say, okay, these are the number of crashes that took place. These are the locations. These are the circumstances. And I think it's important to track that just to be transparent with the public, but also to learn from those mistakes, right? I mean, these drones crashed for a reason. And I think it's important to find out what was the underlying cause. Was it a pilot error? Was it an issue with the battery, as we've seen with some of the uh, Matrice 200 drones? And at least that way, we can learn from them because... With so many first responders flying drones, I mean, they add up quite a few uh, of uh, drone flying hours, and that represents data that we can learn from. So I think uh, it would be very valuable to share that information with the the public. I agree with you, and I think it would actually be good uh, for the public to see this information because law enforcement has had problems with perception of flying drones before, and I think a lack of transparency is only going to exacerbate that problem. And I think it's a great opportunity uh, for public safety to come out and kind of say, hey, look, there's a problem with education, uh, et cetera. And, you know, just so you know, DroneU has been working on a, a, a significant program for public safety as we see a significant issue that's kind of the trifecta here, Haya, which is police agencies are really forcing people to fly drones who maybe shouldn't be flying drones, Mm -hmm. limiting their time, and then, you know, forking over lots of money for equipment, but no training. And I know that these are, how should we say, uh, issues that kind of seep over into other verticals. But that being said, because of the mass liability with drones, and because we want to be, you know, a country on the leading edge of unmanned technology. I think it's so important, like you said, to learn from our mistakes. In our next piece of drone news, it looks like Parrot is really making a hard line decision to say, see you later, bye, drone pilots. Hiya, what do you have? Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, uh, Parrot, when they launched the Anafi USA in the images that they use for their marketing and for the announcement of their new drone, they were bashing DJI and they were bashing um, Chinese made drones in general. They got quite some critique from the drone industry to, uh, I mean, if, if you're promoting a new product, that product should stand on its own merits. It's, uh, you should be able to, to say, okay, this is a new drone and it's a great drone because A, B, C and D. And not so much because you're downplaying the competition and you're playing off of the uh, the data security issues that people allege uh, come with DJI drones. So I think they kind of started off on the wrong foot anyway. But this is interesting because earlier in July, there was an uh, interview with uh, the CEO of Barrett, Henry Seydu, in a French newspaper, Le Parisien, and that's uh, one of the leading newspapers in Paris. And finally, I was able to get my hands on it and got it translated. And in this interview, he says a couple of things, but one of the most interesting ones I found is the announcement that Parrot is going to stop making drones for the consumer market. 
So that means that the Paratanavi that they launched, I think it was January 2018, is the last consumer drone we're going to see from Parrot. They argue that the consumer drone market is too small for them to play a role in. Uh, that surprises me quite a bit. I mean, the, the, I think the consumer drone market is massive. Um, I think they're just unable to, to gain any foothold and deliver a competitive product at a competitive price. So what they've done instead is focus on the defense markets, the military, and also focus on first responders. And I think in that market, they are able to perhaps come up with a drone that's more distinguished or more unique in uh, in a way, and also deliver that at a much higher price point at better margins. So it seems that they're focusing on that niche. So don't expect any consumer version of the uh, Anafi USA. And in that same article, he also, again, referred back to uh, people that uh, should not trust drones from DJI. And I think uh, he, he just keeps reiterating it. It's, uh, it starts to sound like a broken record at this point. And I wish Parrot would move on from that uh, not so great marketing tactic, basically. But that brings us to our next story. And I hope you're going to be able to tell us a little bit more about this. Propeller is creating what's called the next evolution in drone mapping. And I think... Paul, as a, as a drone mapper yourself, maybe you can shine some light on this next news story in our show. It is truly exciting, Haya, as Propeller has just released their new product suite called Dirtmate, which is really kind of creating an ecosystem for drone mapping. So kind of imagine a construction site or imagine a mining site where you've got lots of dirt movers, lots of tractors, lots of heavy uh, industrial machinery. Well, in the last 10 years, a lot of these machines have become very smart. Well, now what Propeller is doing is using IoT devices like GPS to connect that industrial machinery to operate within drone maps. But also on top of that, when it comes to the next evolution of drone mapping, what we're talking about is this push to have acquisition and processing be almost instantaneous, meaning you're taking away the time for, you know, transfer of data to the processor. And what you're doing is you're processing right on site, which really, really increases the efficiency of drone mapping as a whole. And this isn't the first time that we have seen a company attempt to do real-time drone mapping. Last year, there was a company, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, that was trying to do on-site uh, drone mapping as well. And it's interesting, Haya, because drone mapping seems to become, well, quite the popular deliverable, or should I say, uh, workflow for numerous, numerous industries, as even Skydio is trying to get into the mapping game with their 3D scan and home scan. But a lot of people are scratching their heads as to how the Skydio 2 will be able to complete these drone mapping missions with some of the hardware limitations that that drone may have. When I asked Adam Bree, uh, the CEO of Skydio, about this, he said that the solution was simply to fly closer. And while that does solve the problem, it also means that drone mapping missions will now take astronomically longer to complete. That said, I'm really excited about this evolution in drone mapping, Haya. But you know what? Uh, there's really not much to, to move on to. And that means, well, that it's going to be interesting just to see what happens. There's really not much practical to report here. 
So, hi, that brings us to our next piece, which honestly has me excited for the irony. So, Haya, what's going on here as DOI struggles to use drones to get their own jobs done? Yeah, it's an interesting story. I mean, we know that uh, in, in locations like Florida and California, of course, uh, we know that there are sharks that come near the shoreline. However, with the uh, changing climate, sharks have been coming further up north and closer to the shoreline as well. And it's not just related to increasing temperatures. It's also uh, because of a rule that prevents people from hunting seals up in the northeast. And a seal is a, a good um, food source for sharks. So with the growing seal population, sharks apparently migrate closer to the shores, for instance, of places like Cape Cod. So what they've been doing in Cape Cod, the researchers, is to use drones and other aerial equipment to study these sharks. And they applied for the researchers there in Cape Cod, they applied for a permit to use aerial equipment. And the permit got denied because the Department of the Interior has basically grounded uh, temporarily all drones for non-emergency missions. Now, this case is really interesting because they're not even using drones. They were using tethered balloons with DJI cameras, with DJI equipment attached to these balloons. So these balloons are not in any way connected to the internet. There's no Wi-Fi, there's no cell phone connection. So in terms of data being moved from those balloons to China, that seems uh, very unlikely, if not impossible. However, the permit got denied because of the same reasons. And it's interesting um, that these research from their work. And Cape Cod is already an interesting location because most of the coastline is part of a national park, the Cape Cod National Shoreline. And that is part of the National Park Service, which is then where administered by the Department of the Interior. So it kind of all feeds into each other. But in this case, they're, they're not able to use this aerial equipment uh, because they're using Chinese-made parts. And yeah, you can't do that anymore. So their own research is being hurt in this case. Wow. Wow. I do find it ironic, though, Haya, as uh, many of us have struggled to operate in certain areas, such as national parks. And DroneU was actually the first to put out how to fly inside of national parks by operating from outside. Maybe drone pilots will get a break, as NPS might actually abolish the most hypocritical order I think I have ever heard of. Which is funny because when you go to most national parks, you see more people flying drones than ever and almost no enforcement. Which is maybe a great opportunity for NPS to correct their erroneous order banning drones flying inside of national parks because it really makes you scratch your head when dirt bikes, quads, and supercharged, uh, you know, golf carts are allowed all over NPS land, literally tearing it up uh, but we can't fly a drone uh, over NPS, and uh, frankly, you really wonder why. Uh, and you know what? That brings us to our next story, which is also about sharks in California. Or did I miss you talk about that? <laughs> no, I haven't touched upon that yet. Southern California, basically um, the coastline uh, south of L.A., they're using drones to study sharks. And we've seen a lot of this research already take place in uh, countries like Australia, where um, shark prevention has, I think, been more proactive than we've seen elsewhere in the world. However, now in California, they're using drones as well. It's called the Shark Lab, and it's part of the California State University. They're using drones to basically, from in the air, monitor these sharks and see what kind of distance 
or proximity these sharks maintain from swimmers and surfers and they hope to be able to learn based on this information to see if certain kinds of sharks keep a distance or if they are attracted and possibly think that uh, swimmers and surfers are potential prey. Now, so far, the assumption has been that sharks always mistakenly bite uh, swimmers and surfers because they would mistake them for being seals. I think it will be interesting to see if this study proves whether that is indeed the case or whether sharks, if they're hungry enough, will go for uh, your average swimmer and surfer as well. So it's interesting for sure. There wasn't that much detail given in this study. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Australia, I think they're further along down there. They are using artificial intelligence that's able to distinguish between different types of fish, uh, body borders, surfers, stand-up paddle borders, and swimmers. So I think down under, they're, they're quite ahead of us. And I would hope that the California State University would interact with their counterparts in Australia and kind of learn from each other and use some of those best practices because I think like I said before uh, they're kind of uh, blazing the trail down there so kudos to them and uh, yeah I'm happy to see that they're using drones for shark research here in the United States as well now it's really cool Haya. it's really cool in our next piece of drone news it looks like drones are headed inside as they are able to solve even more problems with less red tape Hiya, uh, what is one famous car maker using drones for now? Yeah, this brings us to Germany, the Neckersalm, Neckersalm facility. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but it's one of the Audi facilities. And they make, for instance, the Audi A4, A5, A6, A7, A8. And as these cars roll off the production facility, they're being parked in massive parking lots before they're being dispatched to their final customers. Now, contrary to what you see in the US, in uh, Europe, a lot of cars are being made to order. So people kind of put together the kind of the car that they want with the exterior color, interior, and, and some of the options. So a higher percentage of these cars are specifically made to the customer's preferences. And I guess when you produce this many cars and you have a parking lot filled with hundreds, if not thousands of vehicles, it becomes a bit of a challenge to get the right Audi to the right customer in the end. So what they've done is they developed a hexacopter drone with an RFID reader and GPS uh, instruments that is able to fly over the parking lot, identify all these cars, also the position, so the parking spots where they are parked. And then when the drone comes back to the facility, by the way, this happens all uh, autonomously, they download that data and create a digital map of the parking lot, identifying exactly which car with what specs is parked at what location. And it saves them uh, tremendous amounts of time, makes the whole process much more efficient. And I thought it was a very cool and very unique way of showing how drones can also benefit us in an area that we, I think, in the past haven't really spoken about much. So, yeah, another great example of, uh, of drones being put to work and helping us in our day-to-day business. It's awesome to see drones doing so much good for business. It really is. In this next piece of drone news, though, it looks like drones are not only helping businesses, but once again, drones for good prevails. And as we have said numerous times on this show, Drones are like fire. They are a tool and they can be used for good or bad. Ultimately, the responsibility comes down to you. Haya, how were drones used for good once again? 
Yeah, West Windsor in New Jersey. Uh, they found a 25-year-old man, Cameron Ward is his name, alive after 45 hours of being lost and having been reported missing and surviving heavy thunderstorms and extreme heat. Now, we don't know exactly why he was lost and whether this person had any uh, mental issues or disabilities uh, that uh, might have complicated the situation. However, part of this massive search that included many police officers, volunteers, uh, dogs as well, uh, also were used drones. And we've seen in the past so many times that drones, specifically with thermal cameras, are able to scan massive areas very, very quickly and very efficiently. And of course, if you know thermal cameras, I mean, that those cameras allow to uh, distinguish any mammal or human being from the surrounding area because of the temperature difference. So if you imagine if you have to search in a um, densely uh, forested area or an area with a lot of tall grass, it might be very hard to locate somebody, especially if they're lying down or sitting down. Whereas if you fly a drone over that area with a thermal camera, you're able to scan for temperature differences. And by doing so, it's much, much easier to find missing people. We've seen, of course, thermal drones at the lower end of the spectrum, such as the DJI Mavic 2 Enterprise Jewel that has lower resolution, but still does a pretty good job all the way up to, uh, for instance, a Matrice 300 series that's quite a bit more expensive, but that gives you a much higher resolution and therefore becomes an even more effective search tool. We're happy to report that in this case, he was found alive. He was brought to the hospital. I don't think there were any major injuries or anything. So yeah, it's another good story for the books where drones help to find and rescue somebody. It's awesome, man. It's really awesome to see people helping people. And in this next piece of drone news, it looks like early this morning, the FAA has decided to, that's right, nix the IPP. It's yeah. gonzo now, Haya, but why? Yeah, the UAS IPP program that was launched in December of 2017 has almost run its course. Apparently, it expires by its own terms on October 25th, I believe, uh, in 2020. And the FAA has told uh, the small UAV coalition that the program will not be extended. And that might raise some eyebrows and it might um, make people wonder like, hey, hang on, what's going to happen with all these drone delivery and uh, beyond visual line of sight uh, testing programs that have been taking place around the country that involved companies like Wing, uh, UPS, FedEx. Uh, there's a whole number of, of companies taking part in these tests. If the program is not going to be continued, does that mean that these test programs are going to be stopped as well? And apparently that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I've been informed by a, a very reliable source that these programs can still continue if the waivers and approvals are in place. So depending on when those expire would be when those programs would need to stop. And if those waivers and approvals are extended or they reapply or new ones are being applied for, then they might still take place. Now, one interesting thing to keep in mind as well is that the FEA is going to release its final rule on remote ID for drones later this year. So with this program stopping in October, late October, and then the final rule being published by the end of this year, at least that's what the FEA is planning to do at this point, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the rules and the landscape is going to be going forward and if we're going to see any new testing programs 
or if companies are going to be left to their own devices and have to apply for whatever program they want to run. What we have seen, though, throughout this whole coronavirus pandemic is that drones have been very, very beneficial. And if anything, it has pushed the benefits that drones can provide to our society to the foreground. So I would hope that we've created uh, a number of examples that are going to convince people within the governments to allow more of these tests uh, to take place going forward. And hopefully we'll see more good coming from drones in 2021 as well. But as it stands right now, the... um, UAS IPP program is not going to be extended past its own expiration date of October 25, 2020. Wow, Haya, there's, there's a lot to unpack in that. And uh, it's very interesting to see what lies ahead for sure. But just want to say thank you again for joining me today and going over this week's drone news as we get better and better on our delivery. And uh, Haya, just hope you uh, continue to rest up so that maybe one day you can leave that couch. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Pleasure doing this show with you again and uh, looking forward to our next show next week, man. I look forward to it as always. Hey, well, that's going to do it for us, everyone. Please don't be afraid to smash that subscribe button. Or if you are, if you're finding our shows entertaining or informative, you know how you could support the show? One of two ways. You could share the show or you could become a Drone U member. Drone U members actually just got a brand new class. This last week, what is it called? Solar inspections. That's right. It's one of the easiest workflows ever. One of the most straightforward workflows that provides the pilot with a dollarized value assessment of energy loss in real time. Does it get any easier? No. Does it mean that you need to be a good pilot to fly these jobs? Oh yeah, because the liability is through the roof. If you're a drone you member, you get exclusive access for free. So enjoy. That's going to do it for us today. My name is Paul, a.k.a. Taking Flight, and he is the Flying Dutchman. And we're going to fly on out of here. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone You.